This is Jeffrey Combs, you know, reanimator from beyond, etc. You're listening to Horror Business. Greetings and salutations. My name is Justin Lore. And I am Liam O'Donnell. And you are listening to another unholy and satanic episode of Horror Business. I would say, would you say on a ratio of, um, let's say on a ratio of, uh, I don't know, some Jesus guy. Like you? Let's say Pat Robertson. Okay. So on a scale of Pat Robertson to full Baphomet. We're at a bit. We're, I, I would say we're about... Um, Blood on Satan's Claw level, Bayamith. Oh, oh, Jesus. All right. I'm into that. So today we are doing 1982's Evil Speak and 1989's 976 Evil. And we are joined by fan of the podcast, friend of the podcast, and friend of ours, Andrew McArdle. All the way from Washington, D.C. He is not banned in D.C. He is in D.C. How are you, McArdle? Uh, I am in D.C. <laughs> Uh, no, good, good. Uh, really excited Excellent. to talk about these because these are both great. One of them is among my favorite films. So, and just so you guys know, this is proof that if you recommend us movies, we will talk about them and we will bring you on the show. Because a few months back, Andrew was like, "Hey, you guys should do Evil Speak and Nine Seven Nine Seven Six Evil." And I was like, "Look, at that we have an open slot. We're not doing any episodes. Let's do it." So let's, there. Let's put it this way: if you are a friend, then we will bring you on to talk about that if you're a friend or a british actor who played a cenobite in the hellraiser movies we will bring you on noises noises hold on okay good we will bring you on the talk uh, about movies you want to talk about i mean um if if you are someone we don't know like let's say you're some random guy yeah um you don't shower a lot you live under a bridge your name's evan valella no, he's a friend. A, a troll, maybe, but a friend. <laughs> um, the point is, if you're one of these sort of mouth-breathing mutants, you believe in states' rights, that sort of thing, um, you got to pay us. This is, this is let's, let's highlight something. We don't highlight a lot of the Patreon options here. If you go to Patreon and you commit at a serious level, what's the exact level? I don't fucking know. That's your job, man. Yeah, you can, you can choose. Go check it out. And speaking of mouth breathers who believe in states' rights, this episode is brought to you by Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. <laughs> I didn't even get to finish my line, which was that you can actually suggest something and be a guest on the episode. That's one of the benefits yes. of doing it. Or you can run. If you also want to have influence on the show without giving us Patreon money, you could be run Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. It's easy. Find Chris Reject, murder him, wear his skid like a loose suit, Soon, you will be running the premier screen printer of the Lehigh Valley. Yes, you will be in charge of the likes of Brad Hogarth, Jared Ringrose, Alexis Van Billiard, the other Jared, and several other people. You will have their lives in the palm of your hand. If you're going to name check everybody, you got to make sure you know all their names. Look, this episode is brought to you by the premier screen printing company of the Lehigh Valley. It's Lehigh, the Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. They've done our shirts. They've done shirts for Cinepunks. They've done shirts for the likes of Ultramantis Black. They've done shirts for Iron Sheik. They've done shirts for fucking everyone, man. I, the, the list of shirts they've done is so long, it would be easier for us to say who they haven't done shirts for. They haven't done shirts for Metallica yet. 
I don't think they've ever done shirts for Judge. No, they've never done shirts for Judge. I don't think they've ever done shirts for Taylor Swift. No. Yet. These these are all yet. The future is a six-lane highway. So you can check them out at www. Am I going to ride it all night long? Didn't Tom Petty do that? No, that's not Tom Petty. That's um, other white guy. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, you can go to www.xlvacx for more information. Check them out. Curse Reject is not, never was straight edge. No, never. Okay. Just, he's, that's just not his, that's not his thing. So now, now that we got that out of, now, now that we got that unpleasant part out of the way. McArdle, what have you done recently that, 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 that's involved the world of horror? Uh, you know, not too much. Um, I watched uh, Nightmare Before Christmas on Monday with my daughter, who liked it. Oh, cool. Uh, she's six, so she's kind of right at the age to be able to appreciate that. Um... Ooh, I had uh, I had surgery a week ago to remove uh, like a thrombosed vein out of my arm that had gone haywire. That's kind of like body horror. <laughs> Did the vein come alive and begin suggesting you know people for you to kill? Uh, I mean, I was out of it. You know, they they put me under, so um, it may have given orders to the surgeon. But yeah, uh, having your DNA just sort of create like a weird topsy-turvy vein inside your body that you can see that like throbs and pulses unusually if it gets bumped on anything and swells oh. up to the size of like a like a thumb definitely is That's some some Cronenbergian shit it's very Cronenbergian related question when the vein started instructing people to murder did it have a voice like the thing from uh basket brain case damage? oh brain damage um, you mean Elmer yeah yeah I was like hey Andrew you see that pretty girl over there? Hey there, Andrew. That'd be cool if you killed her. Rest in peace, that guy who died. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that guy yeah. who died. So aside from surgery and Nightmare, Nightmare Before Christmas, that's all you've done in October? That's, all, that's the only horror you've watched? Uh, man, I live in D.C. Every day is horror here. <laughs> Accurate. Oh, no. Oh, Very no. true. Very you true. Very true. You gotta understand. When I, so, okay, first of all, when I bike to work, I go past the White House. So twice a day, I'm in, you know, like the blast radius. Uh, <laughs> Fair. And I work for the medical examiner's office. So my day starts like 8 a.m. going to a meeting where we go over all of the people that died under mysterious circumstances, including photos of the death scenes. So uh, I'm good, you know. So you're talking about some real wank material, just real hot pics. We're, we're talking like some 90s rotten.com stuff. So. Oh God! Do you? Oh my God! Rotten.com. Who were the mouth-breathing fucking creatures that ran that website? Unless they're fans of the show, in which case we, <laughs> love, we love Rotten.com. I mean, I could name a couple people, but it was terrible. Right? Am I alone in thinking? No, that it was, was disgusting. That was literally the beginning of the end of the internet. I mean, some would argue that's what the internet was made for. I disagree. I would argue that the line from Rotten.com to the sort of um, alt-right bronies that currently uh, populate 4chan is like a very direct line. Well, didn't something awful come from Rotten.com and 4chan came from something awful? I don't know. You you seem to know more about this than I do, white man. It is. Fuck off. (laughs) It's more of a direct line than I think would... you would think it would be given how many websites were out there at the time, but uh, yeah. At any rate, no, I, I haven't done much, honestly. Hmm. Liam, what have you done? 
I mean, I'm not going to pretend like my life is exciting because it's really not. But I have done a couple things. One of which I think I'll leave you to talk about because you were also there. Mm. You know? That the, 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 the other night hint, when we summoned... Hint, hint, wink, wink. We summoned Dagon from the depths of the Delaware River. Well, that was a whole... That, okay. that wasn't horror. That was pure sex, yes, baby. That was, um, that was weird. Uh, so one thing I did that was horror-related... I mean, okay. First things first, if you want to know, like, okay, well, what are you watching casually for horror month, October, the 10th month of death? Mm-hmm. Head on over to at Liam Rules. I'm posting stuff. I'm up there posting. I wasn't going to because I didn't think my watching would be up to par. You're no John Martello. John is watching something every day on VHS as well. Which and making is, videos about it. Yeah, Clever he's, videos. He's a crazy person. Um, I just haven't had that kind of time. But I am up to, I think my last was 16, which is, you know, that's not bad. That's yeah. not a bad count. Uh, I guess you, you, you have an unrealistic view when you're on Twitter because there's all these people in there who apparently don't do anything yeah. at all. I mean, some of these folks really do live in the middle of nowhere. So, like, the fact that they go on Twitter and say, like, I just watched you know, Fright Night, that's actually the entirety of their social interaction before they go back to work, <laughs> which is not even meant to make fun of them. Like, that's the reality we live in. You know, you, yeah. you have to live somewhere because that's where you can live and that's how you're paying your bills. And that's when Twitter is actually awesome because without Twitter, you would just be crying alone watching Fright Night. And I mean, I have Twitter and that's what I did the other night. Was cry alone watching Fright Night? Well, 976 Evil. <laughs> that's a little different. That movie is a real heart. Yeah, it really gets in our strengths. So I have been watching some stuff, but a special thing I did, which I didn't add to the list, was I got a chance to check out the Brooklyn Horror Film Fest. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, I wrote some reviews. You can go read those reviews. I reviewed uh, Hagasusa. I don't know how you fucking say Hagasusa. I don't know how. I I saw the Heathen's Curse. A Heathen's Curse. Gotcha. Um, Apparently, this is a white people movie. It's a Norwegian, Finnish, I don't fucking know. Scandinavian. Laplands. It's in the Laplands. Yeah. It's in some fucking place. And, uh, it, but it's a student film. It's actually like a graduate film. Okay. And it's so next, like to the extent that this director, even if you saw this and hated it, you would be like, I want to see what this guy does next, knowing that this is the first thing he's ever done. He's still a student, so he's got a long career ahead of him. I hope it's better than Child Eater. That was the big Scandinavian right. Icelandic movie that came out of that festival last year, and that was... 90 minutes of my life I'll never get back. <laughs> well, I think this is really good. It's a um, very slow, atmospheric uh, tale related to witchcraft. Okay. But not in like a... It's hard to describe it without being tempted to spoil it. But like I said, read my review. I think I did a pretty good job without spoiling it. I will say that I can't even say why. But the movie climaxes in a particularly disturbing sequence. And I really had trouble with that part of the movie. Hmm. Not it didn't ruin the movie. It's not bad. But and it's a, it's even narratively makes sense. But it is so fucked up that it was hard for me. So when you say you had trouble, it wasn't like you had trouble the like it wasn't like like a weak like a weakness to the film. Like you had trouble like it was like unsettling. Yeah. Okay. And I don't want to say why, because that would give away. If I explain it any more than that, okay, it's fucked up. 
if I get into why it's fucked up even a teeny bit, it'll give it away so when you're watching the movie, you'll know to expect it. Gotcha. You know what I'm saying? Whereas I didn't have any idea. I, I, I skimmed a review, but I didn't even get to the end of the review because I didn't want to ruin it for me. I mean, I'm not really a big spoiler person, but I, I just wanted to go in fresh, and it really fucked my day. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's. Um, I also saw Game of Death, which I also reviewed, and I didn't like, so we can keep going on that one. Where can these reviews be found at? Those were both on Cinepunks. Gotcha. Cinepunks.com. Um, and then two movies I saw that I didn't get a chance to review. Um, I thought other people were going to review them, and it hasn't gone up yet. But one is called Cold Hell. It is a um, German film, but it's a uh, it is not just about. So it, it's a German film, but it's largely based in the Turkish community in. I don't know if they're in Berlin or Munich, huh. but they're in a big city in Germany, and basically. There's a young woman. She's a taxi driver. Her life is not easy at all. She comes home one night, and she looks through. It's one of these apartment buildings where um, the middle of the building is empty, so you can see across to someone else's like bathroom window. Yeah. It's sort of like you have a window, but you're not seeing anything but within your own building. So she gets home. She turns on the light. She looks out the window, and uh, right across from her is a dead lady, and there's a dude in the room, and she can't see him because... She has a light on and it's dark in there, mm. but he can definitely see her. And then the rest of the movie is about him stalking her to um, maybe get rid of a witness or whatever. But uh, the movie adds a few layers, one being the hostility towards her as a, well, it's not clear that she's an immigrant. She's Turkish, but it's not clear that she wasn't born in Germany. So but, it's, we could say she's a German of Turkish descent. It's possible, but they don't. They never explain. Okay. They just show that her whole family is 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 Turkish, and uh, and she isn't practicing Muslim, but her family's Muslim. Mm. And um, as the movie goes forward, there's a lot of animosity towards her. She doesn't have great relationships with the members of her family, so she goes to them for help, and also her ex lover and all these people. But there are details about her. Like one, she's kind of tough already on her own. Two, she studies uh, MMA. Okay. And three, she has an anger problem, and eventually it's sort of revealed. I don't think this is a big spoiler or anything, but it's just sort of how the plot goes. It's revealed that part of her anger is related to her relationship with her father, which is fucked up. Okay. So at a certain point, not only is she dealing with this crazy psycho killer guy who it turns out has been killing people all around the world, but she has anger issues. So you kind of get the feeling that like there's no good options for her to get help. And so her first inclination is to just fuck this guy up. Hmm. Like, okay, you're coming after me. I'm definitely afraid of you. It's not like she's so tough. She's not afraid to die. She's definitely afraid, but she's like, uh, but I know how to defend myself. So yeah. when I get a chance, and that actually ends up being a good and a bad thing. Like she probably needs help, but she's also going to try to fuck this guy up on her own. And then she eventually gets involved with a cop. And it goes on from there. So there's a few things I didn't love about it, um, but uh, especially because uh, there's uh, at a certain point a weird angle with her being Muslim and with other Muslim characters that I, I just thought was meant to be insightful and it was actually kind of awkward. Uh, but that's actually just a minor criticism. Most of the movie is super tight, super intense, and it's that line between a thriller and a very tight, like intense, like the sort of thriller people don't really make anymore. You know, that kind of like, is this a horror movie or not? But it's still, you have the anxiety of a thriller, yeah, yeah. you know? But 
with a few actual like action slash fight sequences um, that kind of change a little bit of the atmosphere of what you're watching. So, and the actress is amazing. Not all the actors in the film are great, but the main woman, uh, she's really great. So that was cool. And then I saw mayhem, which is the new Joe Lynch movie. And, uh, it was okay. (laughs) It's, uh, it's Glenn from the walking dead. I know him. I met him. That's my boy, Steven Yen. Yeah. So Steven is his new movie. Steve, you can call him Steve. Steve, new movie, uh, in the future, not far in the future. In the future is all well. No, there's a virus. Okay. And the virus makes you go cray cray. Okay. And um, if you have the virus, right, and you fuck people up, you actually can get off of whatever you did while you had the virus because it makes you so cray cray. It won't kill you necessarily, but it makes you so violent and unpredictable that, like, if you kill someone while you're infected, then whatever. So, oh, um, when you say get off, you mean like they're like they're not accountable for what they did, like legally, completely unaccountable. Okay. And the first person to set that precedent is our man Glenn. He's the lawyer, and then we join him some seven years later, where that first case has really gotten his door in at one of the most cutthroat law firms in the country, and he's rising in the ranks, but he's still mid level. And right at the point where he's about to ascend to the next level, someone needs a patsy, and they set him up. Oh. And then on the same day, he's set up. The building is infected, and it's not like a trick. Like it's not a terrorist or anything. It's just this virus gets around sometimes, and so they're contaminated. So they're stuck in the building. They all have this virus, and he's got a fucking chip on his shoulder because he just got fired. And people are either fucking or killing each other the whole movie. Sounds awesome. It's a little cornball, but okay. but a lot of it is awesome. There's a lot of awesome things in it, but it's not like, whoa, it's so next. It's kind of like a movie who maybe thinks it's a little more awesome than it is, if you know what I mean. It has a little bit of a unjustified swagger to it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's Glenn. Mm, that wasn't really the part I was thinking. I was thinking more of the director. It's It could be a little tight. I think the movie could be a little tighter. It's a little bit more gotcha. like indulgent than it needs to be. Okay. So, you know, Brooklyn Heart Film Fest is great. I love Matt Barone. It's one of the people who runs it. Uh, I really wanted Cinepunks to have a stronger showing of covering it, and a bunch of people who said they could cover stuff had life emergencies and they couldn't make it happen. So hopefully we get invited back next year. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I was I, I had a good time being there, and I got to hang out with uh, fellow Cinepunk Joe Yannick. What's up, Joe? Uh, it's interesting you bring Joe up because I'm going to talk about Joe for a second right now. Um, I have done a few things horror related. Uh, I mean. The Walking Dead premiered. Fear the Walking Dead concluded for the season. Both solid beginners and enders of the seasons, I think. Um, the only horror thing I did that Liam and I didn't participate in together, well, aside from my, this is actually, I took my niece to a uh, a corn maze up in like Sailorsburg, and I to- it's this massive corn maze. It's like a, a square mile of like corn maze. Um, I told her that there was a demon that lived in the maze named the Black Goat, and that um, the family who ran the corn maze had made a pact with the demon where it would bring them fortune um, if no one, if whoever was left in the maze after 8.30 would be slaughtered or if you let your flashlight go out um, and uh, she believed this, wholeheartedly she believed this. <laughs> and uh, even to the point of where like there was these like, there was like a little petting zoo out, outside the maze because there's like a carnival there and there was, a, there was a petting zoo and there was like these like little black goatlets and they had the little horns, the little baphomets 
And I was like, hey, kiddo, those goats are there. They're the sigil that the black goat is bound by 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 magic and that they have to keep an actual black goat there because if the black goat strays too far, the magic falls apart, the sigil weakens, the goat gets out, mayhem ensues. And she was fully on board with, with on board with that. So I'm a great uncle. I <laughs> I'm introducing my niece to the world of horror. You are literally a monster. Um uh, I watched The Babysitter on Netflix. Uh, Joe Yannick hated that movie. Not just Joe. I would say the majority of people, of people I follow on Twitter hated that movie. Uh, I'm torn With on some it. exceptions. Uh, the thing I disliked most about it was that um, most of the characters, like the two main characters were fine. I know Joe dis- would disagree with that and say like the main character is actually rather weak, but I didn't really have a problem with, with the main character. Um, Andrew, have you seen or heard anything about this movie? Uh, no, uh, except for our discussion the other day that our, our boy Ken Marino is in it, which piqued my interest. <laughs> it's If you want to watch it, watch it. If, if not, you're... I mean, at no point does Ken Marino announce that he wants to dip his balls in anything, which is unfortunate. Um, but it, it was just, aside from the main characters, like every other character was just like, a, like literally either flat and not really there. I Ken Marino and, and the actress who played... Uh, who played this, the main character's mother, or they were characters of horror tropes, like the, the scared, panicky black guy, the dumb jock, the, the airheaded cheerleader, the mystical Asian. And it just, it had a few, a few cool parts. Um, and I think it would have been stronger if it was just like the two main characters and not the, uh, the whack stock characters. Um, but it was a movie that a lot of people were talking about good or bad. And I had to check out. So I don't feel like I wasted my time. Um, and other than that, the only thing that we did was Liam hosted a screening of Get Out, um, here at Lafayette. Was it last night? Yeah, last night, um, with a discussion afterwards, uh, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, as I spoke glowingly on Twitter, it's always a pleasure to see Liam, you know, in his academic community, and it was cool because- You're too nice to me. I am not too nice to you. Uh, it was great seeing people, like, people would be like, oh, something about hard tropes, blah, blah, blah. and Liam would, like, look at me and be like, there was, there was this knowing glance between me and Liam, like, yeah, we know a thing or two about horror. Do you know who you're fucking dealing with right now? You know who you're in the room with? So. I don't know if that was my internal monologue, but I appreciate it. No, but that was, it was interesting, because someone, someone said something about hard tropes, and you just, like, shot me a look, and I was like, I'm, 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 I'm picking up what you're putting down. We're talking about Dwayne Jones from Night of the Living Dead right now. <laughs> uh... So aside from that, um, I have not done anything horror-related besides these two movies. I, I mean, not, it, existence is horror. My everyday yeah. existence is, is, is horrific, so there's that. I can vouch for that. I did, I did do one thing, actually. I totally forgot. On uh, This past weekend, I was in Pittsburgh, and out of nowhere, happened to catch a midnight screening of Ringu, which oh. was uh, something I had never seen in the theater. How did that slip by? How, how did that slip by? That's, that's a very cool horror thing. Uh, they were they were doing horror movies all day. There's one particular theater called Row House Cinemas, which is a row house that somebody gutted and turned into a big one screen theater, and that was the midnight screening they were doing. So that was pretty cool. That's super cool. I I have a lot of um, I don't know. Uh, let's say respect for Pittsburgh. It just seems like it's a real movie town in a way that Philly isn't, and I I kind of get jealous a little bit. Well, there's like the film big film schools out there, aren't there? Uh, I guess so. Is that true? I don't really know that much about it. I mean, I know that Pitt has a film program, but I yeah. don't know how intense it is. Or I just know that when I I was out there very briefly, and um, while I was there, the uh, three rivers, two rivers, three rivers. How many rivers are in Pittsburgh? Several. 
the Three Rivers Film Fest was going on, and the lineup was actually really good, even though the theaters it was in were really small. And I think that that's a symbol of their efforts to get. You know, it just seems like a strong sort of community. You know? Yeah. Um, not Again, no disrespect to one of my favorite places in the world, Philadelphia, but I do think Pittsburgh has a little bit more. And I mean, some of that might be related to George Romero and some of the other people who live there. Like, I get that, but it's still a cool thing. Yeah, the only time I was I ever spent any significant time out there, um, I, I went out on a whim for a long weekend in college and stayed with uh, my housemates and I went out there and we stayed with, coincidentally enough, film students who had made a actual documentary as a student film about uh, Juggalos, and this was like 12, 13 years ago. Um, so that was that was that was interesting. I got I got Fago dumped on me, you know, dec- a decade before it was like the in thing to do. So take that. All right, so I guess we'll take a quick break, and then when we get back, we're going to talk about 1982's satanic thriller, teen satanic thriller, Evil Speak. We'll be right back. Everyone's known a boy like Stanley Coopersmith. Evil Speak. He's the kid everyone used to pick on for the last time, Cooper Dick. You see, everyone thought Stanley was a joke. An outcast with no one to turn to. You guys broke my catapult. You're going to pay for that. No one except man's most advanced machine. Stanley used the power of man to call on the powers of evil. with your strength and force. Let them avenge me. Remember that little kid you used to pick on? Well, he's a big boy now. Everyone ready to go? Sure. Okay. And we are back. We're back to talk about 1982's Evil Speak. Written by, or directed by Eric Weston, who also did Marvin and Tiege, The Iron Triangle, and To Protect and Serve. And written by Joseph Graffalo, who wrote Shaker Run. I don't know. This movie was released in the U.S. on February 26, 1982. Had an estimated budget of $900,000. And it starred, amongst other people, Clint Howard, who you might know from everything. <laughs> uh, and Charles uh, Tyner from Hamburger University. Sure. Oh, sure. yes, yes. Uh, R.G. Armstrong, who was in Predator, Children of the Corn, and the TV series Werewolf, if you guys remember that. Jesus, I f- had forgotten all about that till you just said it. I didn't. So I, I don't, I don't have IMDb up here as well. But the uh, the lead bully uh, also is one of the uh, parental characters on that '70s show. 
Yes, yes, yeah. uh, Don Stark. Yeah. yeah, Don Stark. Thank you. Yeah, who was also in Welcome Back, Cotter, and a bunch of other shit. Yeah, he was also in Night Court. Uh, he was in Night Court along with Richard Mall, who played Father Esteban. Ah, yes. Who was also in Night Court as Bull, and he was in House. Esteban, Esteban, yeah. Esteban, Esteban. Uh, the music was by Roger Kellaway, and you're probably being like, Lore, nobody cares about the music. But I have to say that, like, I actually thought the music in this movie was really, oh, yeah. really, really good. Um, so the plot of this movie is basically that Clint Howard is this uh, military cadet at, like, a military prep school. I think Justin, Nobody likes him. I think you need to back up. Uh, the plot is that this is a movie in which Clint Howard has hair. Yeah. <laughs> Clint Howard, yes. Clint Howard has hair. Cl- one, Clint Howard. Well, we can go all the way back. First of all, one, um, apparently when the Catholic Church... Uh, excommunicated satanic monks. They, they gave just, them a school in the U.S. They just sent them to America. They were just like, go to America. That yeah. sounds like a shitty place to be. Then, connected to that, when those monks disappear with no explanation in the plot, that uh, monastery becomes a military academy. Yes. Which I'm totally cool with because, I mean, the Catholic Church, when you molest a little boy, you get transferred yeah. Some other parish. Oh, that is true. I'm not make that wasn't a joke. That I, that was that. I mean, it, they've been doing it since the 1500s. Oh, I get you. I Father get you. Esteban chopped the woman's head off on a beach, and that head turned into a fucking soccer ball, which we all saw happen. <laughs> yep. And then Excellent transition. Yes, they got transferred to the U.S. So in this movie, Clint Howard, who is not disgusting, has hair, looks normal, and is an entirely sympathetic character. I would put money down that no one who knows who Clint Howard is when you said it, who hasn't seen this movie, is picturing what Clint... Clint Howard has never in any other film looked like what he looks like, at least that I know of. No, no, no. He looks like a person in this until the end, where he becomes Clint Howard. It's amazing. That's true. It's actually very similar to Jason Alexander in The Burning, which was a shock to me that he was at one point a handsome, big man on campus kind of guy. Yeah, very true. He's very suave in the burning, and it really messed with. Like yeah, it I, was I distracting. It. Yeah. So uh, Clint Howard's character, um, I don't know his first name, Cooper Smith, something Cooper, <laughs> Jim Cooper Smith, which is the most complicated last name I've ever heard in my entire life. I think it's solely. Uh, I think it's solely a means for them to call him Cooper Dick. Cooper Dick. <laughs> Doesn't Cooper Smith sound like the kind of name that someone makes up on Ellis Island because they just want to have yeah. a not you know, Eastern European names. So well, like, I don't know, Cooper Smith. His name was probably like Cooper Schmidt or something like that. And he was just, <laughs> so he is an outcast. His parents are dead, which we know because bullies are constantly reminding me, hey, Cooper Dick, your parents are dead. Um, nobody likes this guy. Nobody likes who, Co- oh, shitty Cooper no, Schmidt. No, there's one gentleman. Sarge, who, li- who lives no, underground? No, no, this is one of the weird details of the movie. The movie immediately establishes that oh, yes, only yes. one person could put up with Cooper Smith the only black guy at the school, which is just a weird detail that they never explain. Like, I, your only friend. I actually think well, that makes sense. Because, I mean, if, if not it's for... not that it's, it's not that it's wrong. It's that it doesn't come up in the movie. At no point is it like, hey, man, I like you, Cooper Smith, because these assholes are racist and I'm ostracized. They're just like, we need to cast a friend to the loser. I know. Let's cast a black man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Are there other black students? No, no, we don't need black extras. We'll just have just this one kid. Oh, my assumption was that before Clint Howard arrived, uh, he was the target of all of their uh, sure crazy hate, and therefore they bonded over the fact that uh, they are bullied. And man, that I mean, black kid must be glad that Clint Howard showed up because oh yeah, he takes <laughs> all of it. 
I mean, these. I mean, it wouldn't be a stretch though. Too. I. I just thought it was surprising. Like, they don't really come after that kid that much. Like, I don't know. Anyways, Cooper Smith has one friend. Yeah, and he doesn't mention the friend when things start to go crazy. He's not like, oh, BT Dubs. I've been spending some time in the basement. It's gotten yeah. a little wacky. He, he finds he finds somehow like the basement. Even though the basement like the basement opens off like the chapel. Like it's just like a door. There's no it's no like secret passage. It just well, there's op- a hole. He kind of opens a hole a little bit. Yeah, but even the regular basement is still kind of spooky. Oh sure sure sure. So I he, mean the whole school is not a school. It's goddamn it's monastery, monastery that they just put lockers in. They're like this works. Yeah. So they find this. He finds it in this basement. This like creepy fucking basement. Um. He somehow finds and becomes connected with, I don't know if it's Satan or the spirit of Esteban. I mean, what is there? What 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 is the significant difference? That's a for all intents and purposes, he becomes seduced by this uh, spiritual evil, this great corrupter, Richard Mole, bull from Night Court, lures him with the promise of revenge, and he he uses a computer. So the the the, the, the I mean, when I say he uses a computer, I cannot <laughs> stress how. F- fucking insane the filmmaker the clue the, the filmmakers the people who made this movie had never seen a computer in their lives like they were legitimately scared of computers and i believe that they believe that they could actually summon the devil because nothing the computers do in this movie make any fucking sense i mean uh, remind me about this how does he even start like is he putting in the latin yeah, to the computer he's, he's and translating it what uh, well, and let's let's be clear because some of our i feel like this is a movie that the insanity of it doesn't translate to younger people because younger people are like oh they must have had an early version of the internet no there's no there's no internet there's no google translate there's not even at that time a an experimental program in which you could put words in and it just starts translating that doesn't exist here's the thing andrew i i i think i missed this in the movie the first reference to the computer is when he's talking to his like german teacher um halpman who yeah. teaches Latin is a German guy who teaches Latin. Um, oh right, you meant German. His teacher, who His teacher is a German, is German, who teaches Latin. Yes. He's like Cooper Schmidt. You have a great mind. You're not no, no, okay. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> um, he te- he's like you have such a waste of a mind. And 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 Clint Howard is like, well, I'm doing a catapult and I'm putting in the the diagnosis from my my catapult into a computer so it can like it could be like super accurate or some shit like that. And then. When he's there, he finds like this Latin he, in the basement. He finds this like Latin script. He puts the Latin script into the computer. It translates it, and then somehow the computer just knows how to summon Satan. It's like it's like giving the steps. Like first, you need the consecrated host. Then you need unholy water, which I'm assuming is piss. And then you need like the blood and the sacrifice and the this and the that. And like, how does the computer know this? Like, did Esteban enter the computer and tell it? Was that his like channel? His his uh, uh I think it I think the answer is it knows this because the writers had no better idea on how to okay. move the plot forward. Fair enough. No, look, look, this is this is not this is not a movie with a cracking script. Uh this is a movie in which a guy gets bullied for about eighty minutes and then goes all John Wick on the bullies and it feels great. But with the is, use of pigs. He uses yeah, pigs um, as weapons, which is amazing. Look, look, I mean, I have nothing but good things to say about this movie as an experience, but it, the scripting is very fast and loose with what they ask you to, uh, to swallow in a short time frame. And to be fair, I mean, we are also looking back with a certain kind of knowledge. Like, people seeing this movie... 
a lot of them don't know enough to know like a computer can't do that. Like <laughs> a computer is just a useful tool. So they're like, okay, it's doing this now. And I think that combination of the, you know, in a way this movie could have a very retro feel with he's finding this old book and they're Latin, whatever. So the injection of the computer I think it really kind of like adds something to the to the story, even if at some level for me, I'm like, how is anything? I don't even understand where he plugs it in. Yeah, in the basement. in the in the old uh, I don't know what the chapel, I guess, or whatever that is in the basement, the chapel sa- of ghouls, the, the satanic uh, ceremony room in the keep where it fucking the devil lives. <laughs> Off of which there is apparently an entire room with coffins and skeletons that he doesn't notice until the end of the movie. Yes, yeah, the dead people room. We where, all know about the dead people. Room. Where where Sarge lives, and Sarge had no idea about this movie either. He doesn't live with the dead people. He goes to live with the dead people when he murders him. But no, I thought Sarge lives in the basement. No, he lives in the basement. He doesn't live in the dead people room. Oh no, no. But the ba- the dead people room is like right there. I mean, Sarge is an interesting character. Well, okay, okay. So oh, what man. this movie has to do that I think is actually not easy is get us on board with Cooper Smith and his revenge. But still make it horrifying. Like it's not a revenge movie. It is still supposed to be a horror movie. So, so we're, we're supposed to understand and even identify with Cooper Smith and his like slow turn towards evil. Yeah. While being somewhat horrified at the pigs and the floating and the giant sword and all that stuff. And I think they actually pull it off really. Even admitting that the script is not exactly mm-hmm. Shakespeare, you know. Our man, uh, Beast Howard, is actually super <laughs> endearing the whole movie, even though he's not well-written. He still brings something to the character. Oh, yeah. And and they really push these... Uh, the, the, the bullies are pushed in a way where they're definitely caricatures, but you still kind of believe that, like, Cooper Smith is a good dude who yeah. just keeps getting pushed too far. And that last step with Sarge, what the fuck is going on with Sarge? And I love that Sarge is actually the straw that broke Beelzebub's back. Like, <laughs> Sarge is the thing where it's just like, our, our boy has gone too far now, and now it's just, you know, Armageddon. Well, I mean, well, I, 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 I think that the bullies in this actually have a really well-written arc, especially when you compare it to something like the recent film version of It, where it goes from zero to 60 with no discernible uh believable explanation these guys they're just dicks and they're fucking with him but it does gradually and believably increase but i I think the sarge thing also there's an underpinning of like male rape yeah i think so i i Um, well in in the sense of the the menace of being in this close quarters with these other men and um and the fact that there's there's really just the one, I mean, and the way that we see women in this movie sort of brings out the masculineness of the film in the sense you've got the one woman who gets eaten by pigs, right? <laughs> and then you have a pep rally, by the way, for a fucking soccer game. Already I'm confused. Yeah. And the oh, pep rally is a bikini contest. Uh, Liam, you're referring to the Miss Heavy Artillery contest? Yes. <laughs> That's really how they're getting hyped for the big game the next day. And that's interesting. And I think there's something about, I, 
I, you know, I think when we're watching these movies, and we've said this before, but just to remind our listening audience, we like to assume the best. So if something seems like interesting and it has resonance and it's like an interesting thing, I'm going to assume that's on, that's on purpose. It's not just that the people who made the film were like, there's not enough babes in this movie. We need to have a bikini contest just to have more babes. Like that might have been a motivation, but I think what it what it makes more sense to me to think about is. Um, the the movie is so much about the lives of men and the few women who walk in and out of it are very light and objectified and sort of represent maybe a little bit of this like i don't know like a this aggression and 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 um i don't know disassociation of these men with themselves in this environment you know yeah, I mean, even even the, the the first the first woman we really see is like the secretary, mm-hmm. and even she is like the character of like the sexy secretary. Sure, and she's you know, uh, I mean, similar to a way when we when we watched uh, pigs, yeah, how like the 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 rutting of the pigs symbolized like the internal mental tumult, I guess, of like the characters. Like when she's like trying to pick apart the book, like there's like the you know, Cooper Smith is outside. Cooper Smith is outside for some reason. There's like pigs. Oh, on you campus? mean Cooper Dick? Cooper Dick is outside sure. dumping mud on the pigs, I guess, or something. Yeah, I guess they have uh, livestock at the monastery school. Sure, and she's being like all sexy and like there's there's several points where she's like, like everything she does is like so hypersexual, and I I I feel that it just plays into way that, like there's this like hypermasculinity of like the male characters. And that's kind of like offset by the, or not even offset, I, I guess, sort of highlighted by the hypersexuality of the few female characters. I mean, we're, well, I, like, we're talking about this stuff, like these are major arcs, the movie. And sure, the, sure, 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 sure. <laughs> True, but I just think it overall, I mean, I think that there's an interesting relationship, and maybe it wasn't intentional, between Esteban, who is in a priestly order, so he's in a very sort of male dominated world. And yes. the one thing we see him do is like murder a woman. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then we go to the military academy, which is also a very sort of male, uh, you know, area. And, and immediately we see a dude who can't get his shit together and he's getting picked on because of it. And it, it's, I think that there's a sort of um, fear there that I'm sure happens with other folks, but the, the idea of like, I'm stuck at this military academy with these other guys and they keep, you know harassing me there's something about that 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 has a certain gendered tinge to it well yeah and because it specifically and this is probably gonna this is gonna sound like i'm I'm making a joke but um one of through various points um cooper smith is reading these like prayers these like satanic prayers that he has to say like you know uh lord of the dark give me the strength like to to stand before my enemies and one of the things is literally give me the strength to stand erect before my enemies and defy their curses <laughs> like get hard and then withstand the curses of like hey check out my boner it's defying your curse like that's such a fucking raw masculine thing to say is to stand erect before my enemies i wonder if they meant that double erection i mean i'm it, there can, it cannot have been that Someone had to be like, that kind of sounds like the double entendre there. Like, there's no way they wrote Someone that. Someone like, had to program a computer at the time. <laughs> at the time, that was like an hour of work right there. Right. That was between having the computer just say Esteban over and over times. and over again, so but have a super badass pentagram. Yes. I thought... I, Every time the computer went nuts, it just started saying Esteban. I was like, this is corny. But then they'd bring out that laser pentagram, and I'd be like, oh, that's sick. <laughs> I liked when it began screaming for blood. That was pretty cool. 
liked yeah, it. I, I liked it when the laser pentagram turned into a spiral, which then caused the spiraling shape of Sarge's spine to snap. Oh yeah, yes. Yeah. I mean that's how magic works, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It makes sense to me. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I mean that that, that whole sequence is like. Anyway, so basically, uh, we kind of got off the rails talking about how, what happens with the movie, but we've given you most of the idea here is that slowly Cooper Smith, I mean, even when he's, do, I mean, he's really deep into the satanic prayers and he's still not a bad dude. No, no. It, like it, when the thing's asking for a blood sacrifice, he's like, I don't know which, I'm not going to do anything. And to be fair, he doesn't, it, it, it's not like he is like, I am turning to Satan because I want riches and fortune. I want the sex of women. Like, he's just like, I just want to be taken seriously is what it comes down to at the end of the day. It's like, he doesn't know his place in the world. He has a friend. Nobody takes him seriously. He's a fucking joke. He gets picked on. He fails miserably with women. I really think that all he honestly wants is just some sense of power to not be at the bottom of the barrel. And that's what he's turning towards. Like, I don't think he really wants power so much as he just wants to... Uh, I don't know, like, Liam, you said it, like, I think you were you were kidding when you said, like, the Christian God is the God of the bullies, but Satan is the God of the underdogs. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, and, and I don't think it's just this movie. I think a number of movies sort of present that idea that, like, you know, the Jehovah's associated with the establishment. The establishment is bullies who can't deal with difference. And Satan gets to come in and be like, oh, hey, buddy, are you doing okay? <laughs> hey, look, I love you. If you just do a little bit of bloodletting. Kill your brother. <laughs> Kill your brother with the first blade and you shall know your place in the world. <sighs> so, what do you want to talk about next? I mean, I, I, all, all, all this to say, the buildup is it's effective. Yes, yeah. and it's way worth it. Well, it's so uh, worth it. So, for, for a movie with a fairly low budget, I will say that some of the effects fall a little flat, but... The sequence in which Esteban's face is projected over Howard's. That's really good. Yeah, for being a primitive effect, it looks fantastic. Yes. And then when he turns into, his face also turns into some sort of pig-looking yeah, that, demon. Yeah, that not so much. You mean Clint Howard? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When the human mask is pulled off. <laughs> and he's revealed as Clint Howard. know. I, I even no. think the pig demon thing wasn't that bad. No, I thought it was cool. Uh, but I, I will say the, the bleeding, like finger-twitching crucifix looks great. Oh yes, when it shoots the the nail into yeah, the, the, the priest, awesome. that was fucking cool. I mean, and and honestly, up until that point, the chaplain hadn't seemed that bad to me, but his sermon was such bullshit yeah. that I like literally was like, <laughs> man, I can't wait for him to get that nail. I mean, like, because I mean, we talked about it. we. You said the script is not the strongest point, but it was funny to me as someone like vaguely related to religious things. The dudes up there like, yeah, he's scales. You do more good than bad, and and I was like, who? What chaplain, what yeah. ordained man is actually out here being like, yeah, it's just a scales thing, guys. Like, you just try to do less bad than you do good, and it's all going to work out. Yeah, go team. Like, I just thought that was so funny that that was where he was going. And then he just gets a nail to the fucking head. And it's, so, it's awesome. so rad. Can, can we just say, though, the only moment in the movie where Clint Howard looks like the Clint Howard that I picture in my head is when he rises out of the floor. Yes. He levitates out of the hole in the floor, wielding a fucking sword, and uh-huh. he proceeds to go to town on these people, while like the, 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 the few that escape his, rat, his sword wrath are devoured by swine, I, and it's glorious. Yeah, I would venture to say that Clint Howard is the movie's best special effect. 
I mean, yeah, I, I, even that sequence when the the because he comes out of the floor, and then the pigs ascend out of the floor. That's a fucked up. If, if you were like, yo, man, for our our next uh, death metal record cover, we got a guy. He's floating. He's got a sword. Okay, lo- what guy? What guy? What, he looks kind of like Clint Howard. Okay, perfect. And he's got a big ass sword, and he's coming out of the floor, and you're like, okay, that's kind of tough. But underneath him, the floor's broken open. There's a fucking herd of pigs emerging from the floor. That's badass. Yeah, like yeah. I actually like like was utterly surprised. I mean, this is the second time I watched the movie, but the first time I saw it, when that happened, I was like. What the fuck? Yeah. Like, to be devoured really by a herd of unholy swine is like, I, I don't know. That's just like a decapitated lyric or something yeah, like that. Even, even the sequence where the guy is squiggling through the laundry chute or whatever it is. And I mean, it's a super cheap shot of him sort of popping out and almost getting out and then getting pulled back in. Knowing that it's these giant pigs makes it effective because you're hearing the squealing and his sort of look of terror. Yes, yeah, like the uh, the cheap, cheapest, simplest special effects still work wonderfully with the terror of something so gross. Yeah, being being devoured by pigs really, it sucks a lot. I mean, not that I would know, but I mean, I can I can imagine it's it's fucking disgusting and gross and horrible. Here's here's the thing I want to know though. Like, I think all three of us we watch this movie, and we have this climax at the end of. And I do mean climax yes. as as pigs are come out of the floor um, of Clint Howard getting his sweet sweet revenge, and 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 I will say we're we're making it sound like it's the best thing ever. The very end where it's like and then he disappears only to return. Sometime in an in the insane future. asylum, yeah. That's a little. That part was not my favorite, but um, but it's. I mean, they had to end somehow, and they already shot their load in the church. So what, yeah. are, they, what are they possibly going to do? Anyways, my point being is that for for the three of us. I don't know about you. I'm, I don't want to speak for you, but I get the sense that we're all kind of like, that's right. Fuck those fuckers up. They all suck. Yeah, they killed his fucking dog. Like, yeah, 100%. There's zero sympathy for these people. But do we think, is there any level at which there's an audience for this movie who's going, you know what the horror of this movie is? Nerds getting their comeuppance <laughs> on us. I, I, I strongly doubt that i mean maybe not this i guess uh, what i'm trying to say is like this is a there's a few movies like this and this one i mean clint howard is so endearing yes and he doesn't kill the dog i mean that's a real it's a real sign that they decide to have the bullies kill the dog because as soon as he finds the dog you and think the, that's where they're and going. the computer's like give me blood i'm like he's gonna fucking murder that dog and he doesn't and i get that that's great that really makes us care about him but do we think that some of these movies kind of create a anxiety about outsiders like clint howard like in this movie he's clearly the good guy but what are the versions i mean i think we're going to get to one uh, nine seven six evil yeah he's liam this is this is the pre-columbine era you know i mean sure sure look at these things differently now like this is a much more dark take on essentially the same premise as revenge of the nerds right Uh, this is you know real revenge of the nerds although less rape yes much Uh, less rape i wouldn't say much less (laughs) i mean there was the i i do wonder about the pig attack scene there is something vaguely sexual about that yeah but robert uh carradine in revenge of the nerds literally rapes a woman no that's fair okay just so we're clear on that yeah it's true but I mean, when the woman is eaten by the pigs, I do think there's like a weird sexual metaphor going on there. Yeah, and again, it's it's implied that Sarge is uh, is known for, uh, as he says, 
turning boys into girls. Did you pick? Did you pick up? Is that? Is that? That's what he says. He says, "I know how to turn. I know how to turn a boy into a girl." Fuck that! I wow. No, there's a real. I mean, it's not clear to me. I will disagree slightly. It's not clear to me if that's an empty threat or like a threat with a history to it. Okay, but it would make sense the way that people talk about Sarge. It's almost like everyone cares about Sarge because he's like, I don't know, done his duty. But underneath, they're all kind of like, I don't know, Sarge looks a little weird at all the boys. Yeah, he's a know? dirty old man who lives in a fucking basement. I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know if we're reading too much into it. But he, at, at minimum, he threatens Clint Howard's character with rape. Okay. That's, and that's, that's that enough. That alone right there makes him horrible it certainly makes the fact that the computer twists him up and kills him like a little more palatable yeah yeah. he's not just like a sad drunk man in the basement he's kind of creepy yeah uh so anything else to say about evil speak uh it rules yes and i'm very glad you you suggested it yeah i highly recommend it it's one that i had not known and i got the i got the blu-ray just sent to me and i was so happy when that was the work that was the hand of Satan guiding us towards Father Esteban. Yeah. Oh, and also, Father, you know, Richard Mole. Like, yeah, God bless him. I need to see all his random weird horror movies. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to be talking about Stephen Jeffrey's other masterpiece, 1989's 976 Evil. We'll be right back. From the mind of Robert England, alias Freddy Krueger. Comes his first directorial movie. What's up, Chuck? A movie reliving a nightmare. Let him go! The powers of darkness have returned. Returned to capture their souls. Don't worry about others who damage your pride. They'll soon regret it. The souls of the innocent. Someday soon, you're going to be down here and I'm going to spit on you. to take what he deserves. Some say it's a warning from God. A warning about what? Are you ready? I'm ready. Take it. You're too late, Palmer. England's 976 Evil. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, and we're back to talk about 1989's 976 Evil. Now, Justin, this was your first go around with 976 Evil. I've never seen 976 Evil. Oh, my that's, God. That's crazy to me. I feel like, and, and, you know, listening audience, let me know what your experience is. <laughs> Hit us up on the tweeters and the Facebooks. But um, it seems like to me at a certain point in time, one could not turn on cable after 11 o'clock at night and not see 976. No, I, I remember I remember seeing like this the cover of this movie is was everywhere. I remember I remember going to like Suncoast videos and seeing this movie all the time. Like and not even I mean not even it, it wasn't even like it was like oh yeah that's the thing that Evil Ed was in. It was just like that movie was everywhere. Right. Well, it was also directed by Robert Englund. Yeah, yeah. Huge. That was a huge thing. Like people yeah. talked about that a lot. Uh yeah, so I guess it was just was directed by Robert England. You know who that is. 
uh, written by Brian Helgland, who also wrote uh, The Dream Master, Highway to Hell, Conspiracy Theory, L.A. Confidential, Knight's Tale, The Postman, and Man on Fire. Uh, it was released on March 24th, 1989, and the working titles were Horoscope and Dial the Devil. And in Pakistan, the English title was Super Evil. Yes. That's Super so- Evil. It grossed almost $3 million, which isn't bad. Yeah, uh, starring Stephen Jeffries, who was in such films as Fright Night, Heaven Help Us, Tell Me Something Dirty, Fraternity Vacation, Sick Girl, Mr. Hush, Nothing Else Ever. Patrick O'Brien, who was in 976 Evil 2, Blood and Concrete, Relentless, and No Holds Barred. Yes. Oh, I like yeah. No Holds Barred, yeah. actually. Uh, Leslie Dean, who was in Freddy's Dead and Girlfriend from Hell. And then Sandy Davis, who was in a little film called God Told Me To. Oh, it's yeah. a great movie. So 976 Evil, 976 Evil is a movie that is about, and this is just the gist of it, we got this guy, played by Stephen Jeffries, Evil Ed from Fright Night, um, Twink number two from a Cockpit, no, <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, he plays Hoax, who is this outsider. Um, I think the movie kind of starts... Also, though, with his cousin. What well, is his cousin's his, name? His cousin's name, I forget, uh, he's got Spike. Spike. So it, it's sort of like it opens up, and I would have loved to see this movie when it first came out, before I knew that like Stephen Jeffries was like the big, you know, the big deal that he was and everything. Um, because in retrospect, it's definitely marketed as like a Stephen Jeffries movie, and he is the main character, but it opens up and the focus is on his cousin. Right. Which is kind of strange. And uh, so there's this guy, Spike, who's like your typical 80s greaser, and um, he's revealed that he 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 calls this like it's like a like, it's like a nine seven six number, which, which it's a horror scope. With. Yeah. So back in the day, you could you could there they had these like nine seven six. They were like sex hotlines. They are or local nine hundred numbers. Yeah. Yeah. You could they could be a lot of different things. Like, uh, and I think we've lost some of the diversity of these things. Like, you could call and just chat with people about cars. You could call and jerk off on the phone. You could call and get a date. You could call and just find out certain kinds of like information. Like the 976 market was super diverse. And we see that in the movie because he calls 976 Evil to get his horror scope. And later on in the film, when they go to the location where 976 Evil is supposed to be located yeah there's a bunch of different things there and i think for someone watching this who's not our age and remembers 976 numbers they might be watching that sequence being like what the fuck what is that? the fuck yeah. is going on yeah. but again no internet people like if you could be like here's information that you don't know how to find and you just got to pay us blah 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 cents a minute i mean i i have called a 976 number there was a comics hotline where you could get information and that sounds not so bad but it, the one I called wasn't for comics as a whole. I called the not the Rob Liefeld hot info line. Oh my god! Because I needed to know what was going on with Youngblood. You needed to know where his feet went. Yeah. yeah. What? How many pouches can you fit you on the page? Draw feet. Yeah. Rob Liefeld. Why are fucking Captain America's pecs distorted and fucking Cronenbergian? Anyways, the point being is that it, it, this was a way for people to connect. And it was a way for people to get information. And it was a way for people to beat off or possibly actually fuck someone. Yeah. And again, it's because these were local exchanges. These are not national numbers like a 900 number. These are someone in your area code. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, we meet 
Uh, so his cousin, it turns out that this this greaser Spike, his cousin lives next door to him, and they have this like weird. This is another like archaic thing, like the bank teller air tube system. Yeah, they have it between. I guess Spike lives over the garage. Yeah, and he has this apartment, and it's his aunt, right? Yes, his aunt. And so, um, you know, Spike and and Hope, what is Hoax. his name? Hoax. They they have a connection. They're they cousins, they yeah. care about each other. And this is how they communicate is they send this weird bank teller tube. It's oddly endearing. Yeah, when the movie first starts, it's definitely healthy and yeah. interesting. Although I felt like, and maybe this is just my opinion of Stephen Jeffries, Hoax immediately seems like a creeper to me. Is that am I alone in that? No, and we'll we'll get we'll we'll, we'll get to that later. Um Tell me I want to know what you think though. Tell me what you think. Yeah, McCardle, tell us. I mean, I, I think that he is a sympathetic character. I think that he and Spike are portrayed as two alternate outcomes that a normal person could end up as, one of which is desirable and one of which is not. Fair enough. But I mean, I also think that even um, even in like Fright Night as Evil Ed, he was like horribly annoying and he was like a creep and a weirdo, but you still love him. And See, he, he, I find him more endearing as Evil Ed than I do in this movie. And maybe this is just yeah. my bias, but something about him in this movie, he immediately rubs me the wrong way. Whereas Evil Ed, I actually like Evil Ed most of Fright Night. Yeah, I mean, his his I, I maintain that his death in Fright Night, or like his, not not his death, um, when, when, when Chris Sarandon turns him, is one of the saddest things in any horror movie ever. And that's why like I think it's... I mean... That's why I don't like. I I I think it's a, it's a shame that Stephen Jeffries didn't do more. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. in 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 the horror genre because he can act. Like he's oh, a he's he's, he's he's a great actor. Like and not just like for like a like a like a horror actor. Like he can really he can really act and he can really make you either hate the characters or love them or do both. Like you know, yeah, I mean, like Evil Ed. They're very similar characters, but it's pretty well understood that Evil Ed is a tragic character who is yes turned into a monster against his will, and Hoax is a person who would have become a monster in a sort of normal, you know, toxic uh, modern-day internet sense, uh, left to his own devices, but in this case becomes an altogether different kind of monster. Yeah, I guess what it is is that, you know, and it's not fair, but, you know, we're basically inevitably going to compare the two movies because we watch them together. Even though this is a better Uh, movie. uh, I don't... I... I I can't say that. so. Uh, I'll explain That's why. Fine. I said, you're you're allowed to be wrong. Let me <laughs> let me finish let me finish my point and then I'll explain why I'm not sure. But um, the when I compare the two, I feel like uh, we really get a seduction of um, of Cooper Dick. Like he really, we really understand the how he ends up there, and with our man Hoags here, with our man Evil Ed, <laughs> Evil or Ed, with Evil or Ed, um, like I get how he gets there, but it's so wrapped up with like, um, his, uh, I don't know, trying to be something or I don't know. I guess maybe again, this might be more about me and my bias, but watching it, I just don't connect with him in the same way i i i almost want to connect with spike even though spike's experience is 
completely alien to any i never had a cool moment in all of high school so on a, in a real way i feel like i should connect with hoax because that's who i was except for i didn't have a super i didn't except for the religious angle the nerd getting picked on angle that's who i was but for some reason he really bothers me immediately even before he becomes like creepy dude. An- another thing that this differs that i, I think i think this th- there's a contrast between this and and, and evil speak is uh, Cooper Dick, his like descent and seduction, it's there's like a progression, and you understand why he does what he does. Like, hoax isn't really like there's the scene that I thought was really great, but I was in retrospect, I was like that didn't really make much sense. Like after he gets his claws and he like scratches up the one bully, and the kid's like looking in the mirror, and hoax just like walks up and puts his arm around him. He goes, "Don't ever touch me ever again." Like spread the word and you're like yeah but they weren't really fucking with you that bad to begin with they didn't show any like blatant they didn't i don't know kill his fucking dog or constantly make his life a living hell like they think, were just like i mean i think that's part of what this movie is going for on purpose though like clint howard's character is sympathetic because he is bullied and the revenge that he takes while you know ultimately way overkill for what was done yeah it's still it's a it's an arc that, at the end of it, he's not ultimately responsible. But I mean, I think this movie is in some ways like an early attempt to kind of engage with what you know what I think in the modern age is called toxic masculinity. Like hoax sees his cousin and he projects a whole bunch of beliefs and ideas and attitudes onto Spike that aren't necessarily some some of there. which. Some of which are there, though. I mean, Some it's not like Spike are. is Some an angel are. either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, who is? But I think that the idea here is that he has these entitled uh, attitudes that he thinks he's not getting what he's supposed to have. Um, and then once he has the opportunity to simply take what he wants, you see him going way overboard with it. Sure. I think that's really, I, I think that's true. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, so this goes back Clint to Howard, the, the, does Clint Howard just wants to be treated like with basic human dignity, right? Which is very and 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 yeah, hoax human. wants power. He yeah. wants he wants control. I mean, again, it's not that Clint Howard's character isn't going towards power, but that's not initially. He just wants to feel normal and hoax immediately is like look look at the fucking man god that spike is he can defy my mom, which you know hoax can't do whatever. <laughs> He fucks ladies, which, you know, Hoax is watching him fuck ladies. And uh, and he just seems like a badass, and he's not afraid of these bullies who are making my life hell. So he wants to be him, and I I, I get that. Um, I think this is somewhat related to uh, what you were just saying about it being a better movie. And I think you're right. I think the, the issue for me is Evil Speak was a surprise the first time I saw it. It's a new thing. So I'm attracted to like, wow, I didn't see this coming and it's interesting and whatever. With 976 Evil, I don't trust how much I like it a little bit because I'm so nostalgic for it. I mean, 100%, I swear to God, I must have seen the movie up until the Frozen House part 
so many times and then fall like I, I just have so many memories of like the TV's on it's way later than it should be <laughs> this movie's on even and I know I've seen it before but I just I gotta watch it again and right at the right about the part where the house is frozen I'm just starting to fall asleep and then I'm out before the very end so much so that like on this watch there are one or two moments of the end of the movie that I was like oh right that's how that happened you know like I had actually forgotten that even though I've seen it so many times um, but I think you're right in the sense that this movie is tighter. I think it's better written. And I think almost because I don't like him so much, he's a much better, like, vi- like there's a villain oh, yeah. really. Yeah. Yeah. Way. Yeah. So this movie, it's tighter and it's harder oh, and my it's God. hotter. So <laughs> basically we never even finished explaining the plot. Basically oh. Spike keeps calling this number. The number is giving him actual predictions. And then at a certain point, the number wants him to like, do a minor crime, steal something. But he likes the guy, it seems like, that he the number wants him to steal from. The guy on the line, is, it sounds like a horror host, and he's like, you know, but take what you want, whatever, whatever. And so uh, Spike decides not to do that. Immediately after him deciding he's not going to steal a pair of gloves, he almost gets hit by a car. Yeah. It's like, oh, you won't commit petty larceny? Death, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and, and then, you know, I, I don't know if that's the end of it for Spike in a way because I, I actually find myself thinking about this. Like, does Spike, in not getting hit by the car, does he then get away in a way? Or would, if it wasn't for his cousin, would the 976 evil number kept coming after him? I, mean, I don't know, but... It, 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 the, the phone keeps calling him. It's true. And that's... And so... Um, Meanwhile, uh, evil or Ed is, evil Fred. is he can't deal with his mom. His mom's a monster, like a literal monster. She's the worst human ever. She's terrible. She's terrible. And a, a dude comes to town. He's investigating this f- fish. It rains fish. It rains fish. We completely forgot that it just rains fish. It just oh, rains yeah. fish. I don't know if it, if it rains fish. I don't know if there's a reason for the fish, but it's an unexplained experience. Of course, his crazy ass mom's like, "This is evidence that I have a direct line to Jesus because fish are falling from the sky." Yes, Jesus and his fish. And can you guys clarify for me? I've seen this movie a million times. I still don't quite understand. The guy says he's coming to investigate the fish. Yeah, but then the rest of the movie, I'm just not sure what he's doing there. He's just lurking around. He just keeps hanging out. Uh, That's what I picked up. I mean, it's it's. I think there may be a little bit of a like an editing room issue there. My my gut was that he is in some way investigating, uh, you know, just like religious slash paranormal activity for a newspaper right. and seizes on the nine seven six evil thing. Right. I think that's true. I think it's. I think. I mean, I think that's part of the thing. I just described it as a positive. The movie is so tight. But on rewatch, I was thinking like. Are there parts of this movie missing? Like, did did things important things end up on the cutting room floor? Because it it goes so fast that certain details weren't fleshed out that much. But on the other hand, you know, it's a movie about an evil call line. How long do you fucking want it to be? Like, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's 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 it moves very quickly. And so soon, our man, you know, he finally has a night where he connects with a woman, um, but it's a woman that his cousin just fucked whose underwear he has stolen and are in his back pocket. <laughs> so right at the point where he's about to like... Classic co- mistake. Just at the point where he's like kind of connecting with another human being. I mean, I don't think he's... They're going to be romantically connected, but at least... There's a basic connection, which least, he's never had. At least he has that. And the bullies come and they find the fucking undies in his back pocket. And Doesn't he ooh. watch it? He watches his cousin fuck this girl. Yes. Through a telescope. Yes. I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm not suggesting 
that he is any more normal. All I'm saying is that he might have gotten less weird if this connection had blossomed and he didn't have panties, her <laughs> panties, in his back pocket. That ruined the chances of him being like, oh, maybe I could be a normal human. And uh, like anyone does, he's been jilted. Yes. He's been humiliated. He, you know, uh, commits to a satanic ritual to murder her. Which he does. I mean, he just wants to scare her. He And he scares her with fucking disgusting spiders in her... Uh, it's a lot of spiders. It's, there's 40 spiders in her in her TV dinner. Oh, my God. That seems actually, like, really it's good. It's gross. I think. It's so fuck Because when I was watching it the other night, I was like, oh, he's gonna she's going to open it. She's going to peel it back, and there's going to be, like, a tarantula. And blah! But then, like, she peels it back, and they just come, like, a fucking deluge. Everywhere. They're just all over the place. And it's just... Ugh. Yuck. I think because I I'm, I know it so well, I haven't thought much about why I like this movie. And I wonder if part of it is that there's a few things in it that are actually kind of disturbing. Like the, the tarantulas, I think, actually is like yes. an intense image. I actually think, and maybe I'm alone in this, the frozen house. It's a weird image. It's a very weird image. Anyways, uh, the point is, uh, he feels bad he murdered this woman. Yes. But not that bad. No, because he keeps doing it. And then he eventually, he keeps pursuing evil until it starts to change him. And eventually he's like a weird demon wear child who's going to get revenge on the world. Like a disgusting, like horrifying doctor. Why do we think his hair gets longer? Because it never does, because could... there's extensions. Like there's extensions. But what do we think that's, a, it's just him representing him getting more beast-like, we think? I think so, yeah. Because he, I mean, first off, Stephen Jeffries looks impish to begin with. That's true. Like having met the guy, even today, he looks like a like he he's very like like he's got he's like wise and full of secrets, and he offers good advice, and you know could cast a spell if need be, and like all it really takes is like he's just got that look about him where he like naturally looks like mischievous and like maybe a tiny bit wicked, and it doesn't really take much for him to look like a fucking monster, which he does. Like he looks like a mad doctor, like. That scene where the, the the bullies are like playing cards and he just like walks in and he's like, Can I start with a pair of hearts? And he, he that that's on that's weird. It's it's very fucking creepy because he looks like a wolf. That and, scene actually really got under my skin when I was yeah, a kid. Now be, that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, that was one of the ones that like kind of fucked me up. Because a bit. it's so like it, it's it, it's um there's a scene immediately after that where he chases the one bully up on the roof. And the bully and the girl are like hiding and he just like comes out of nowhere. He's like, what are we waiting for? And it's like he kills the bully and it's like it's it's just bad. At, it's just they don't show the death. It's really weird. It's a, it's a very awkwardly shot and edited sequence. Um, but I think making him like the transformation from just like natural weirdo into like actual monster. Um, it just feels like a natural progression and it just it, it just feels like he's like perfect for that role i guess well that's also i think that's the acting too though like i really do think that when he's playing the quote-unquote innocent pre you know satanic magic yeah. character that there's still something as liam pointed out something that's disturbingly off about him yeah uh, and like I, I know i said earlier that i think that he and spike are portrayed as two sort of different directions that a normal person could go but I, I think that's that's both true and untrue like there's something about him that I think is predisposed in his character to go the way that he ends up going yeah I think so I think he's given opportunity what, what he's given is opportunity and what the the evil phone line 
you know, connects with is this desire, which is, you know, very traditionally Satan of it to like sense in you a desire for something more. Yeah. And to use that to its own ends, which apparently its own ends is like, it's never quite clear other than he just becomes evil. Like you said, petty larceny, like. No, I mean, to be fair, Demon Ed does a lot of crazy shit. Yeah. But uh, I do like that there's no, they never get to a point where it's like, and all that was to get his soul. I mean, this is part of <laughs> this is part of the issue with some of these satanic movies, right? It's like, what does Satan really want out yeah, of this what, relationship? What, yeah. what is he getting out of this relationship? He just wants you to be your best self. <laughs> I mean, in a way, I mean, that's part of what's disturbing, right? Is, uh, as you said, he's very awkward. There's something off about him. And then as Justin pointed out, when he becomes the demon, the swagger is even more disturbing. He's yeah. just like, hey, I'm just here to hang out and murder some people. How are you guys doing tonight? Because it's not that far from how he actually is. Right. There's just something about it that's really offsetting. Um, I th- I kind of think that it, because they do establish that his mother is like very, very deeply religious. And I think maybe this this sense of entitlement that he has comes from this whole idea that like, if you do good things, good things will happen. And he obviously believes himself to be a good person and like good things aren't happening to him. So he has this like shitty, you know, like if, if he were alive today, he would be like a fucking 4chan nerd. No, that's, like a, that's exactly like a, what I think this movie portends. Yeah. yeah, he's like he's like the fucking nice guy fedora wearing like fucking feminazis. Like they're the reason I can't get a fucking date. Um, See, I want to suggest I think something else is going on here. In a movie... Um, so one of the issues I think you have in these uh, Satan movies, let's say, movies in which there's, you know, this, the, the, and you were talking about this, Justin, to fill the audience in, because he said this before, but you said, you know, just to remind everyone, you don't, you have an issue with satanic films. Yes, we've talked about this in past episodes. Yeah, in that, you know, if the Bible is at all true, you know you're going to lose. So yeah. why would you choose to lose? I actually side? said while we're watching this movie, it's like going to a heart, like a Globetrotters game, and being like, "Yeah, I really think the generals are going to pull this one off." <laughs> like, you're not. No, you're you're rooting for the losing team. There's no point. So a lot of these sorts of movies still have to play with that dichotomy, right? Like either you're rooting for the Jesus people, or you're rooting for Satan, or you're kind of caught in the middle, right? Yeah, yeah. What what I think this film does that's interesting is you've got Spike, and Spike is like the independent i can't possibly fucking care about this and what the movie does is sort of suggest that the line between crazy mom and crazy you know hoax or whatever his name is you know evil or ed is a thin ass fucking line that both of them just want to believe that there's a bigger power out there that will give them what they want yes mom's like if i do praying enough and i'm really committed then fish will fall from the sky i don't know why she wants that but you know it's evidence to judge it's evidence of that her connection our man just goes the other route and what spike is left with is like look man i don't want your fucking magic doodahs all right i just want to <laughs> be a tough dude on a motorcycle who bangs babes yeah like that's all he wants out of the world and i think in that sense that's the actual dichotomy of the film that it's it's all of these you know crazy people involved in this magical reality and then it's the independent sort of you know not ill-willed he's not a bad person but he just is like i'm gonna live my life and i don't give a fuck about all of that yeah i can't be made to give a fuck about all that and and ed sort of inserts himself in ed again i keep calling him ed i'm sorry hoax you know his cousin inserts himself into that with this other thing and represents a different sort of view and and i really think 
I, I don't think it's unintentional that his desires are not that dissimilar than people who are viewing their religion as a way to get what they want. Yeah, I, I, I can I can I can agree to that. Um, I, I, I'm sorry, I also, no, it's just, it's just also such a better movie than Fright Night. So uh, I don't want to get into this, right? Is we were going to get into no, this? No, no, no. We're not going to. I do want to talk about something that you and I, Liam, we talked about on Twitter with a certain member of the Cinepunks community who, who shan't be named. Do you think this movie has the homoerotic overtones that Fright Night does? Huh. No, I don't think so. Okay. What do you think? I don't, I don't know. Because I was, I mean, all jokes aside, knowing Stephen Jeffrey's sexuality and what he did, but, you know, he went on to have a, actually rather successful porn career in the 90s, um, there was a period of time where I would watch Fright Night and I'd see it and be like, am I thinking this is, there's like erotic overtones between the two of these, between the two of these male characters just because like, is that me being shitty and injecting, like somehow injecting like, like a, not homophobic, but like, you know what I mean? Like, is, am, sure. I, am I seeing something that's not there because like, I'm assuming that that's what this, what this guy does. Is that bad of me? And I don't think so. I do think Fright Night does have deliberate like homoerotic overtones and i was watching this movie and i don't know man like him watching his cousin fuck a girl like i i kind of think he like idolizes and sort of wants to be spiked to the point of like hmm. i there's, think maybe he like he lusts after him yeah there's there, there's a not insignificant element to that but i mean i think i think the thing that works for me about it is that if that's there, then the movie looks at that and looks down on it. And with Fright Night, the protagonist's treatment of the female character is just so awful and never seems to be addressed in any way that I just can't deal with it. See, I this is my, my claim, and this is why I think that um, you, Justin, are not reading things into Fright Night. I think the... I think that part of what's going on in Friday Night is that the main character is actually gay. That's why he can't possibly care about his girlfriend. And what the, part of the danger of his neighbor is is that this neighbor is this pansexual, you know, being of power who's like, "I'll take your girlfriend. I've got my sexy manservant." Who, by the way, every other vampire manservant's like, "Turn me," and this guy's like. We just live together, man. Like, I just do what he says. We live in the same space. He wants to bring a girl home. Sounds great. Like, I, 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 in, in other words, and, and we're saying, I mean, the one thing I will a little bit say we should keep in mind, Justin, is I don't, th I, I think it has, I think Fright Night has homosexual overtones, but it's also just about anxieties around sex in general. Yes, yes, yes. Like, I, I wonder, uh, you know, to what extent that's sort of what's going on is this this guy is so sheltered from that world and he that's he doesn't want to have that connection he's turned off and i think part of that could be about his sexual identity but um it's also just a general sort of feeling i think with this movie there is a little bit of that with his idol i the way he idolizes spike i think is part is has a little bit of that to it but i think it's in a real way about um his sense of self too that, that that what satan is offering him or i mean it's it's just a horror host on a phone but uh you know what i mean like what he's getting from this is this sort of power and this identity which is related to how he sees spike but i i don't think i don't think it has quite 
the heady mix of sexual undertones okay. that fright I just think Fright Night has so much weird shit going on. And I think it would continue to like I, I think Fright Night Two is its own thing, sort of separate. But knowing that um, there's been discussions about another sequel or a Night? comic book or yeah, 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 yeah. All the stories that people talk about still have those undertones to me such that I'm like, yo, man, like, is this just what this text is about to some extent? I don't know. It's, it's, it's actually it's not, interesting. Not, not to get too far off on a tangent. It's actually one of the things I, I really didn't like about the 2008, 2009 remake of Fright Night was that they completely missed that dynamic. There was none of that. And I mean, it, it was it was just not there. And I was like, that's part of what makes Fright Night great. I mean, I need to rewatch it. I, oh, yeah. I, 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 I had a big, you know, I had a big conversation about it, and I was kind of like, it sucks. But I saw it. I haven't watched it since I saw it in the theater. And at the time, I was just like, this movie sucks. But like, it might be worth revisiting it because I think other there are other aspects to it that people lifted up that maybe it doesn't have some of those things, but it has other things that are also valuable. And they might be wrong. I'm not saying they're right. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I'm just saying I don't want to make a decision having only watched it once. And when did that come out? 2011 2010 yeah like i don't think i was really committed i just sort of went and then was like why am i watching this movie yeah you know? I, I saw it and i was like i went in with a bad attitude i'll say that much that's shocking oh <laughs> hey i'm fucking with you calm down hey what do you th- so you don't like fright night but uh, i, I want to like fright night but the the treatment of the female character is just so awful and uh she seems so like poorly underwritten that it, i just don't mm. know how to deal with that um who directed like, Fright Night? Tom Holland. Tom Holland. Yeah. I always get Tom Holland and Tommy Lee Wallace mixed up. I just, uh-huh. I don't know. If, if I have two, uh, two Stephen Jeffries movies to choose from, I will always pick this one, and I will always wish that Robert Englund had made more movies. But uh, I do actually agree with you there, and, I, and I'm not trying to play down how good 9760 was. What else has Robert Englund done? Um, I think he was in Lord of Illusion. Yeah, he was in Lord of Illusion. Yeah. He was in uh, Halloween. He played. He played Michael Voorhees. George Romero directed that. Can you stop? Can you just stop? <laughs> I know this is so funny for you, but uh, never um, uh, okay. So backing up a little bit, uh, I I don't know how y'all feel, but I actually fucking love the climax of this movie. You mean the very end? Yeah, well, and not just, I sort of already mentioned the frozen house, which I think is a really creepy image, but even the pipe and the pit to hell, and I don't know, not all the effects work, like if you're a stickler about good CGI, this is not the film for you, but but, but I don't care. I just really like the way that this movie ends up, and I even liked the dumb stinger of our man doing the the phone thing and having the file and i even like that part yeah. i love all of that i mean again yeah, it's great i think i think it's a loose film i think it's a choppy film in a lot of ways i do wonder what's missing from the film yeah if there was like a weird director's cut i might be interested in watching that but uh but i still it really connects with me and i really find it it, it there are aspects to it that still really get under my skin and make me kind of like upset <laughs> for a first-time director especially it's really accomplished uh, I did watch, in preparation for this, the direct-to-video sequel, 976 Evil 2, which I had never seen. Uh, it's uh, pretty good. <laughs> Is it? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I've never seen it. I've thought about watching it, though. Uh, it, it stars uh, Brian o- O'Brien, whatever his name is. Uh, Patrick O'Brien? Patrick Liam O'Brien. O'Donnell? 
Yeah, it stars Liam O'Donnell as Spike. <laughs> Director uh, of Beyond Skyline. <laughs> shut the fuck. Jesus Christ. I knew you were going to bring that up. Uh, yeah, Sorry, no, it's, uh, it's pretty good. It's all about astral projection. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting angle on the old uh, hotline Well, the, bas- the basic premise is that wherever he goes, you know, much later, the hotline continues to call him. That's uh, fucking cool. Yeah, that's kind of cool, actually. But huh. also, no one else can hear the phone ringing. Hmm. Now, let me, let me ask y'all, and I want to start with our guest on this one. Um, why do we think this movie doesn't come up as much, or at least in my experience, hasn't come up as much, in discussions of Hollywood punks? Excellent question. Because that's what these guys are, right? There's like, a black flag. Black flag rules is fucking graffito in the bathroom. I mean, not Spike. Spike is a goddamn greaser weirdo who probably likes Van Halen. So no, fuck I, him. Now I, I don't. I don't have the the book that is the sort of encyclopedia of all punks in movies. Uh, Destroy all movies. Yes, uh, made you. by the guy from Alamo who I was going to name check him, and I totally forgot his name. So ah. yeah, I, I don't have that uh, on my shelf. But uh, this may be in there, but uh, I, mean, I think uh, I think those guys are all more Guns and Roses than punk. But well, they're like they're like your normie vision of like like when you when you would ask like like if you asked like Robert England in 1988 or 89 when this movie was produced like what is a punk? Descri- he would be like, oh, they live in squalor, they spray paint a bunch of shit, and they um they beat up nerds. I mean, that's. I mean, this is this is my least favorite kind of how you know. Uh, okay, first of all, Hollywood punks have no orthodoxy. So, like, are these guys actual punks? Hell no. But I mean, are they as punk as the uh, dudes in uh, New Year's Evil stage diving to the really slow love ballad? Yeah, they're about as punk as those guys. <laughs> but uh, but what I but of the varieties of Hollywood punk, this is one of my least favorite, exception being Class of 1984, which is the punk is bully. Yeah, punks are just jocks who don't know how to bathe themselves. Yes. That's sort of the image we get with these dudes. Also, um, that the school they go to is a fucking hellhole. Like, literally, literally it feels like, you know, all this shit happens. My man falls into the pit of hell. And then, like, the next week, the hispanic teacher shows up who's going to turn this school around with a baseball bat you know what i mean like that's the school there or or like the next week someone's like you know curb stomped in the bathroom like it it definitely feels like the roughest high school and at the roughest high school punks just hang out in the bathroom all day and beat people up and and extort people it's it's actually the exact high school that uh class of 1984 is set in of course, no it shit. Is. No, it's not. It's not real. Oh, oh god, god damn it, No, I was going to say Class 19.4, I think, was for filmed in Canada. Is that right? I think Class 19.84 was filmed in Canada. Whereas I, this movie feels California to me. Yes, this movie. It feels like so LA, which I mean, it's probably part of the whole like way they're depicting punks. You know what I mean? Like, there's this this sort of thing like L.A. is just covered in you know smelly surfing degenerates who just want to stab you and eat a taco and then and then circle pit to fucking Aerosmith around a bonfire and then get killed by vampires. Jesus yeah. Christ! Yeah. No, I, I I think one of the big appeal uh, aspects of this movie is that you can't remake it. It it's it's of a point in time uh, that I think allows it to exist as a sort of time capsule but it's also i mean it's a great movie but it's 
it's got this element of uh, one and done to it. I mean, it, it's very, it's very, it's not dated, but it's very, it's very specific to that. Again, the very plot revolves around a phenomenon that like most people who are alive today, most horror fans, it does, it's, it's alien to them. You know what I mean? It would be like if they made like a movie about like an, e- like an evil telegraph when we were kids or something like that. Like, well, I mean, when I the other night having watched Ringu, I mean that that's a movie that lives and dies by the fact that the the means of the transmission of horror is purely analog. It's it's information right. on on a, a physical, tangible medium that could there's a there's a degree of believability in the same way that by making this story one that's hyper local. Uh, and sort of low tech, uh, it adds a degree of sort of. It's easier to suspend my disbelief when something is purely analog or very low tech than something requiring like a huge infrastructure. I mean, this is what you guys say, but I already have my script for at sexy evil four twenty, a movie about an evil Snapchat account that sends you tit pics and then corrupts your soul. Hey man, you got you got it, you got it, you got to you got to ride that wave before it crests. <laughs> Oh, is this kind of like uh, is this kind of like Swipe Right, the uh, neo-Nazi dating website? Uh, is that real? No, uh, Bucky and I were talking about it. It may be real once we once we code it. I was gonna say, make that money while you can. Fucking assholes. Uh, tip: include anime and bronies. I'm just saying. I, I, all right, seems to be stoked on that shit right now. I think we just need to create a whole bunch of fake female accounts, a la uh, Ashley Madison. Yes. But those fake female accounts should have anime um, uh, icons or whatever. Yes, I agree. <laughs> All right, so 976 Evil, any closing thoughts? Anything else you want to add? I mean, yeah, uh, our man Jeffries, he's a good actor. I wish he had done more. I mean, great, he made his money doing other things, but uh, I kind of wish he had been in more films. He, it, it's, it's, it's kind of, I've, I've read, uh, in doing research for all this, I, I read an interview with him, and like, the, um, he's not like a big horror person at all. Like his career before horror and after horror, largely till now, he's like he's like a like a like a stage actor, like a theater actor. He won a couple Tonys apparently, and like in the interview, they were like, "So, what are some like cool newer horror films you've seen?" And he was just like, "I don't watch horror." This is like from 2014. He's like, "I don't really like horror movies all that much." And then he described some movie that was like big in 2014 that like was the other side of horror. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, just say. Um, like La La Land or something like that. And he was like, I really enjoyed seeing this movie. And it was like, and the interviewer was like, okay, cool. So not horror. He's like, I didn't intend to get into horror. It just sort of like fell into my lap and I just went with it. I mean, to be fair, it's two movies. You know what I mean? Like they're he, very he, iconic films. It is, and it, that's what's kind of weird is because like he, he did do a movie a few years ago. Um, I want to say in like 2010 or 2011 called uh, Sick Girl that he was cast just because it was like, oh, he's fucking Steven Jefferson. Sure, gotta, sure. But yeah, I mean, I, he's not a horror person. He, he's not like, um, he's not like Bill Mosley who like watches horror films and like is like a big horror person. Like he doesn't often do the, um, the, 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 the convention circuit. Although um, it's worth mentioning that the convention that he did do that you attended, Robert England was also there. And yes, yes. Probably didn't even shake hands. No, I, I doubt they, I mean, they, I mean, they might've, I mean, they're, you know, nice enough guys. Did you get them both to sign stills from Night Seven Six Evil? I did not. No, I didn't get. Well, I didn't. You fucking failed. Yeah, drop the ball on talk, that one. I did. I didn't even yeah. talk to Robert England. No, I mean, uh, unfortunately, apparently, one of the reasons that um, this that that Stephen Jeffries doesn't do conventions often is because people always bring up his 
porn career and uh and not even a way that's like oh like i really admire your work and this that the other thing it's like they're like like there's all these like rumors going around that that dude would like got into drugs and all that shit and by all accounts it was like no he just wanted to do it which i mean if that's your thing cool that's awesome as you said um, it kind of just fell into his lap and he oh, went God with it damn it the whole point is that he doesn't do conventions because horror fans are fucking assholes. Is <laughs> like that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah, they're they're, they're, they're jerk offs who you know. Um, but no, I agree. It is a shame he he, he didn't do more um, in, in, in with horror because I think he has like a natural look. And for I mean, I, and don't get me wrong, it didn't even have to be horror. Like he's done some other genre of films as well. Yeah, he did a movie with Patrick Dempsey. Yeah, um, but it, it's not a lot though, and I think he's a good actor. He's so a great actor. Yeah. If he had made the switch to only doing drama after this, that would have been. Okay, and I would hopefully watched him. Yeah, he has a very Jeffrey Toomes quality to him. Yep. <laughs> all right, and with that, I guess that's all we're going to talk about with 976 Evil. Yeah, let's wrap it on up. All right, so uh, as always, thank you for listening. Andrew, thank you for appearing on here. Thank you for having us. me. Uh, the pleasure was all mine. Andrew, do you want to plug anything? Do you have any plugs? Uh, well, the only thing I would have would be uh, if I were to program a Halloween film festival. Uh, oh, a few yes. suggestions. Okay. Uh, it would be Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, to start Fucking off. Fucking A. Uh, Sick. Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, The Dream Warriors. Sick. Uh, Leprechaun 3 in Las Vegas. I'm sensing a theme. Uh, Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. God damn it. Uh, Phantasm 3, Lord of the Dead. Uh, the Omen 3, Final Conflict. And then we're getting Good choice. into the wee hours. Uh, the Howling 3, The Marsupials. Fuck off. Uh, Child's Play 3. And uh, I think to cap it off, we would go with Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D. Interesting. I enjoy uh, almost as many as four of those films. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Uh, the horror show did a thing on Part 3s, and they couldn't even make it. Like They were just like, after talking break, they did. I think it was the movie that ended it was like Leatherface. Oh. Like, and Ugh. they're just like, there's most Part 3s. Ghoulies Part 3 are... Not very good. Wait a minute. Ghoulies Part 3 is not that bad. Ghoulies go to college. Yeah. You're insane. Texas Chainsaw 3 is definitely the weak one compared to 2 and 4. I mean, this is... this is <laughs> Okay. Dude, 4 has Matthew McConaughey in it. <laughs> Let's go back to the Ghoulies thing. Ghoulies 1 and 2 are both trash. Like Ghoulies 2 is not trash. trash. No. The, Liam, I would say Liam. the most watchable Ghoulies is Ghoulies 3. Liam... The Ghoulies movies are all Academy Award winners compared to Munchie. <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's fair. That is very fair. You know what? My gr- we need to just wrap up because I got to go home to my baby. Yeah. But I will say one last thing. My The problem for me as a kid is I couldn't determine the difference between Critters and Ghoulies. So the Who number can? of times I wanted to watch Critters, but instead I watched Ghoulies, makes me really hate Ghoulies. Fair enough. Because when I was, I actually will defend at least the first Critters movie, and I certainly have watched some of the other ones on cable. I don't really remember which yeah. is which. There's one with twin aliens, right? Like twin aliens? Isn't that, that in? That's Hellraiser Four. You're thinking about? Yeah, oh, Justin. Shit. Justin, can you refresh me what the local paper had as the synopsis for Critters? Oh fuck. So, you know how, like, in, like, TV Guide, it would have, like, the description, like, sure. local girl moves, you know, woman moves back home to discover herself after a the, the synopsis for, for, for Critters 2 was, uh, aliens land in a small town and devour a cow. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. 
I was like 14, and I remember being like, that's, I mean, they're not wrong, but that's, yeah. All right, we got to wrap up. All right, so uh, again, thank you for listening. Andrew, thank you for being on here. Um, guys, check us out on iTunes. We're on Stitcher as well. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, and download, download, download. You can head to www.cinepunks.com to check out uh, past episodes of this podcast and some of our other podcasts. Um, as well, we have a Patreon page. You can, you know, if you feel, if you, if you, if you feel so inclined to, you can throw some, some, some money our way. Um, we have shirts. You can, um, you find information there how to order them. Uh, and other than that, um, this is gonna be the last episode we're gonna do before Halloween. We're gonna do before Halloween. So happy Halloween! Oh yeah, happy Halloween! It's the spookiest happy time Halloween. of year. Happy Halloween. Um, and other than that, fuck Victor Salva and stay spooky. Keep it crappy. <laughs> All right, Herbert.